So, Berto, have you seen the new movie Mother! Exclamation point? Have you seen that movie in the theaters yet? Oh, have I! Exclamation point. Yeah, I knew the answer to that question already because I saw you post on Facebook. You said, and I never know if you're being sarcastic or not, so I, I thought <laughs> he either he hated it or he, you said you thought it was in your top five movies of all time. Instant classic. That's that. So you weren't being sarcastic. I was not being sarcastic. Now, since then, I, I have tried to. I actually tried to do a top five, and I found it was impossible. And I actually like your idea of doing tiers, like what you did for the yeah. Beatles. So in doing tiers, it's in my top tier. Okay, but I just can't actually say, oh, it's my top five movies, right? Because there's other movies that you would I, I, you wouldn't like, put it necessarily above. <laughs> like I was. Oh, we should probably start the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I am your host. Dr. Kirk Honda, I am a therapist and a professor and not a mother, exclamation point. <laughs> My name is Humberto Castaneda. I am a publicist for a select poet. Maybe the title was, You Mother! Kinda. <laughs> um, so I, I liked it for sure, but I gave it a 7 out of 10, which is my ranking for definitely a good, worth my time. Definitely liked it. Right. I, I, I tend to... Uh, uh, reserve the tens, the nines, and the eights for movies where I'm like, I just watched The Big Sick today. Have you seen that movie? Not yet. No. I gave that movie a nine out of ten. That's an amazing movie. Oh. It's a perfect story. It's funny throughout. Right. It's dry humor, but I was laughing out loud like every five minutes. Oh, it's, I'll have to check it out. It's it's a true story too, which is amazing. I see. It's uh, an American story. It's it's great. Yeah. Uh, Kumal Nianjani and Zoe Kazan are are great. The big sick. The big sick. Okay. Yeah, it's a play on words in that it's like Sikh. I think is you know mm. how they call yeah. people from India, but he's and not so Sikh. He's Muslim. But okay. but also his he he meets this girl and she gets sick. Okay. And so it's the big. I I don't know the exact, but anyway, it's a true story, which is amazing. Anyway, uh, okay, so yeah, mother, I gave seven out of ten. I really loved the first half, and I was I was on the edge of my seat. I love Aronofsky's style. We should talk a little bit about Aronofsky just for a second. Um, what other movies do you know by him, Berto? Well, the first movie, uh, I think the first movie I saw was actually Requiem, and then I saw Pi. Okay, but I maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, and then I certainly saw um, uh, Black Swan, and I also saw the the, isn't the wrestler. The it's the wrestler, right? Yeah. I did not see the fountain. Okay, um, wow. you should see the fountain. I heard mixed things about that. Oh, uh, well, if well, if you like Mother, you'll love the fountain. Uh, okay, um, what's the other one that I saw? Noah. Oh yeah, I saw Noah, and then isn't there one more that I saw? You should know. Uh, <laughs> you should know what I've seen. He well, okay. So I'll, sh I'll say. So yeah, I saw Pi in 1998. I've always been an art film right. lover, and I remember. Did you see it in the theater? No, I don't think so. Yeah, me neither. Um, but I definitely remember seeing it before Requiem, and okay. and I remember just being blown away by Pi. I recently rewatched some clips of Pi, and I was like, I don't think I would like this movie today. <laughs> I but see. but it, but in 1998, 27 year old Kirk really really got into this movie. I see. Uh, it's it's very art filmy. It's yep. very gritty. It's very depressing. 
Um, but uh, I liked the energy of it. I remember at the time, I mean, think about 1998. There wasn't a lot of really... It's pre-Matrix. Yeah, right. Uh, 2000, two years later, he made Requiem, which was this big uh, sort right. of breakout movie. Jared Leto is in it. I mean, I think what happened is I, I had seen Requiem, and I was like, oh, my God, I love this. I think I was at a party talking to someone, uh, and maybe that movie came up, and they said, well, you've seen Pi, right? And I'm like... Pi? No. He's like, but is it about the number of pi? He's like, you haven't seen pi? And and they literally slotted, s- snapped it into the DVD or VCR, whatever they had, and they started playing it. In the middle of the party? In the middle of a party. But but it was like in a separate room, and I had already had quite a few drinks. So that first time, I remember like sort of half watching and then kind of zoning out and falling asleep for a bit. So I didn't get at all what was happening, and I had to go back. <laughs> and it was it's a hard movie to follow if you're at all not, you know, yeah. paying attention. <laughs> then he r- wrote a movie called Below in 2002, which I don't remember seeing. Uh, and then 2006, wrote and directed The Fountain, which you have to see. It is the most similar. It's sort of like you've seen Noah, right? Yeah. So Mother is like Noah and The Fountain had a love child. I see. So The Fountain is okay. is lots of, uh, it's just great. I I find the now people out there listening to this. If you don't like any of these movies, then you're gonna hate <laughs> Mother. You know. Oh, by the way, we're gonna spoil the oh, entire. Oh, super movie. spoiler! Yeah, we're gonna Alert. spoil the whole thing. And it's the sort of movie that I don't know about you, Berto, but I had no idea. Zero. Yeah, all I knew was Aronofsky yeah. and J Law and I, and right. Bardem, and I was like, I'm in. I mean, I had seen that little short preview clip where he. He's he sees something broken and he says no or whatever you know he gets angry and I was like what is this and that's all I had seen I don't think I'd even seen that and, and so I I thought it was some sort of like scary movie yeah well they marketed it as a as a scary horror movie but that's that's all I had seen or heard and then I had heard that there was some huge controversy so going into seeing it and I had to wait a whole week because I was in in Sweden in Sweden. And so I had to wait to get back. And every day I was like, oh, I can't wait to get back. Can't wait to get back. And then I heard I got an F cinema score. And I'm like, I can't wait to see it. So I was really excited to see it, but I knew nothing. Well, I was in London at the time and went and saw it because I really wanted to see it. Yeah, I didn't have a slot because it was for work, for my publicist and publicisting. Yeah. By the way, I posted on the Facebook page that I was in London and went to Freud's uh, London home. I saw his couch. Yeah. It's very like old school. Yeah. <laughs> Our Austrian friends were laughing, I think, about us, me saying it was Freud's home because they're like, this isn't his, <laughs> this you know, isn't he's from Vienna. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was amazing to, I, I went to Freud's. Can we just go on a little Freud yes, jag Freud here? tangent. So we went to Freud's Ashes, which is at this crematorium, and I go into the office and. Oh, I know. I find so I'm on the internet trying to, you know, and you have to triangulate where this place is. Blah blah. blah. I, find, <laughs> I finally get there. It's like outside of London. Go to the crematorium, and it's this huge uh, cemetery-like place, a uh-huh. complex, and 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 it's not like they have like a "you are here" map, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I finally find the the particular house that that his ashes are in, and it's locked, and it says you have to go to the office so to get to get the key. Oh, it wasn't like some. Normal touristy? No. Oh. So I go to the office and I, I say, you know, I want to see Freud's ashes. And and she's like, what? And I'm like, well, on the door it says you need a key. And she's like, 
And at this point, I'm thinking, oh, God damn it. I came all <laughs> the way up here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, maybe this guy can help. And this guy is like folding boxes. I can see him in the background. And and she and he she turns to him and she's like this this guy wants to see Freud's ashes and he's like um, yeah I'll help you in a second and he and I'm just standing there in the office yeah for probably I don't know twenty minutes watching like I'm just trying to stay out of the way of all these workers and I can see this guy in the back in the back room like folding boxes and I'm just thinking <laughs> what am I doing here and so the guy he 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 comes up to me and he's like okay let's go and so we and it's so, all great so we finally go over there. He unlocks the door. I think he's just going to unlock the door and let us in. And I'm going to go in there, right? Take a couple snapshots, and and then you know get a cab and go to the Freud House Museum, which is actually kind of nearby. Not coincidentally, I think. But anyway, um, so but he lets us in, and then he starts to kind of chat me up. He starts asking me questions like, "Oh, you know, why are you here? Are you a are you a, in the business?" Mm-hmm. And then and then he starts busting out all these like snapshots of other people who have been there. Whoa. And then, and then did you see that picture with the reflection? Yeah. He engineered that. He, he had this spotlight that he had oh. brought from home or something. He was just a maintenance guy, by the way. What? Yeah. And, and so he's become an expert on Freud's ashes because <laughs> you need a key to get in there. That's crazy. And he's, he's walked s- thousands of people back to these ashes and he he's written poems about Freud, which I have on video. By the way, I'm going to post oh it tomorrow. Gosh. He's he's written uh, poems. He's paint. He's a painter too. He looks like know. he he's about sixty five uh-huh. or something, and he's a maintenance guy at this crematorium, like the guy who mows the lawn, yeah. the guy who has the keys, the guy you know. And he he read poems about death. He wrote poems about about Freud. Uh, he he had that spotlight so he could get my ref- he's like you got to get your reflection on the <laughs> on the thing and which was a cool picture yeah and he talked about how recently some burglars tried to take Freud's ashes it's actually Freud and his wife okay uh, Sigmund and his wife that and someone had tried to take the ashes they broke into the crematorium yeah. and they didn't realize that the urn which is this this like ancient Roman or Greek urn Mm -hmm. and they tried to pull it off of the pedestal it was on, but it's like locked down and they ended up breaking the urn and the ashes went all over the floor. No, wait, are you serious? And the maintenance guy came the next day and found it. And he was the one who like swept all the ashes back into the urn. And then some other guy like rebuilt the urn, like piece by piece. Cannot be real. Like, I don't know if you remember, I made the joke on your Facebook post about, like, you know, don't slip. Don't have a Freudian slip. You know, I whatever. thought you were, I thought you knew about the news story. No. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking how horrible it would be if someone broke that. Yeah. They broke it. Yeah. Well, okay, do you realize what happened, though? What? First of all, now I guess we're breaking the news here. Freud is alive. Through his insight into human psyche and all these things, apparently he figured out how to transcend death. He was that janitor. And this was his final test. So when you were there waiting patiently, that was part of the psychological test. Oh. And then he was unfolding all these little things, and he was asking you questions. Oh. That was his final test. Well, what do I get for passing the test? Well, you, didn't, I, I, you will either live forever or you won't, but you won't know if you pass until you don't die. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like a Freud zombie yeah. or vampire or something. Yeah. 
but no, it was amazing. Um, he, and then uh, I went to Freud's house that he had in London. It's a wonderful museum. Uh, and I bought a little cat. Can you, can you see it around the corner? You probably can't see it, but I bought a little black cat, uh, and it's next to my R2-D2 there. Oh, like a, a, a statue of a cat? Yeah, a okay. cat, because Freud had a, had a statue of a cat in his, mm. in his office. And I have, as you know, all these little trinkets of cats in my yes. office. <laughs> anyway, okay, so... So why did I talk? Oh, because I was in London and I also went to see went to Mother. See <laughs> but why would we talk about Freud on this podcast? I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. By, by the way, we're going to get to some psychological elements to this movie in a second. But anyway, so uh, so Aronofsky, Darren, Ar- Darren Aronofsky, The Fountain, definitely. Just, so he's basically written and directed just six movies now. Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, Black Swan, Noah, and now Mother. But he's also written other movies like Below. He also wrote. So he didn't uh, write the wrestler. He directed it, or something? yeah. So he so he's okay. he's not a lot of directing. He he directed the wrestler. He produced the fighter, <laughs> which is funny. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, he produced Zipper, which I haven't seen, and he produced Jackie. Have you have you seen Jackie? No, not yet. Uh, I watched that on the plane actually on the way back, and I didn't. I mean, it's interesting in some mm-hmm. element, but it's actually kind of boring. It's okay. it's really slow and there's just a lot Natalie of Portman Natalie Portman does a great job uh, she mm. has to carry so much and I don't know it was just kind of a little too ponderous is that movie take place post the the yeah it's like the Kennedy it's death. just like the week or so after oh, okay. but it also has flashbacks and stuff and I kind of wish they did more of the flashbacks but anyway um he has uh, not won any Oscars. He's been nominated uh, mainly uh, for a lot of movies, mainly Black Swan. Uh, and uh, But Marissa Tor- Tomei won an Oscar f- for The Wrestler for supporting, which he directed. So uh, I'm wondering if this movie is going to get any Oscar hmm. nom. I'm guessing not. But anyway, okay. So, um, yeah, I so I thought the first half was... So let's talk about the first half here. Yeah. So you and I have no idea what we're walking into. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is interesting. It's starting to look like the fountain. It was re- like as I was watching, because as she would go up to the up to the uh, wall and she, you know, there's like that heart and then there's that, that yellow stuff. And I was thinking, oh, it's kind of like black swans, kind of like the fountain. Yeah. I'm feeling like, I'm feeling a, a sort of sense like, because there's no road, you can't see a road. You can't, there's no cars, right? There's and when no- she sees the forest, it's blurry. They they don't show us her view of a clear forest. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so I was getting the sense of like, is this sort of like a magical? Because the fountain has a lot of that in it. There's like these magical uh, parts of it that that don't feel stupid. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And I love the and it had the the wrestler shot where he's right behind her head a lot as she's walking yeah. through the and the house is cool looking and and uh, and the sound design was awesome in the theater you know you get that full seven point one Dolby sound mm-hmm. you know and like you're just like uh, you're I'm very much in her shoes he's very yeah. good at putting us in it and the direction's really great the the writing was really great and the Acting J Law was just amazing. I yeah, thought she, unbelievable. Everyone she, was great. Yeah, Everyone but particularly, great. I mean, <clears throat> Jennifer Lawrence is a wonderful actress anyway. But 
the the depths of acting that she had to go to oh, yeah. in this movie, uh, particularly as you progress through it, um, I was totally convinced. Um, yeah. So, uh, but so the reason why I wouldn't give it. Uh, more than seven is because the ending was a little too much. Amazing. You liked the ending. Oh, I loved it. I, I thought it was a little drawn out. Like, and I, I've been giving it some thought in terms of like um, what I would have preferred it to be otherwise. Uh-huh. And and here here's my thought. <clears throat> like they they if they if Aronofsky would have stayed within the realm of possible life, you know, up up until about two thirds into the movie. All of this could have happened. Do you know what I mean? I mean, aside from like the sudden wake that happened right after uh, uh, Abel died, right? You know, like it was like just four hours after they take that kid to the hospital and he dies, they yeah. have they have this wake, and I was like, this is that's a, that. Why would they have the wake wake there? Why wouldn't they? Right. You know, I, I was thinking that that's a little unrealistic. But everything up until that point, you're thinking, yeah, that could happen. You know, even the wake, I suppose you could say that's happened. After a certain point, you're like, oh, we, we've completely gone into surrealism. You know, none of this is right. none of this is possible. I mean, there's tanks and like and like uh, chain link fences and right. Molotov cocktails and you know. But, so but the threat was was there from the very first scene, and, and, of, the, and there the, was surreality. The woman crying and there's fire. And, yeah, and then there was and by the way, who's not her? Right, which is great. And there was surreality immediately that she doesn't react to like whose wall thumps and you're like i'm just gonna you know like she's clearly experiencing some some things that you'd have to think you're you're going crazy and she doesn't even mention it right so that's surreal yeah but right black swan you know has that that plays with that all of that you could say is either her hallucinating or the way she felt, if that sure. makes any sense. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's fine. And now, to me, one of the things that I enjoyed the most was the escalation. Yeah. Like, I felt, honestly, like the first time through, because I've seen it twice, the first time through, I felt like, on a, you know, on a roller coaster, when you keep going up and up and up, and you're, you know that it's going to go down? But it's like the Hulk roller coaster in 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 Orlando, where the way up is, is is accelerated. That's how it felt. Like I'm on a roller coaster ride. I know there's gonna be a point at which we start going down, but it's actually getting faster as we're going up. Yeah, no. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? I, I was totally along for the ride, <laughs> and I was totally into it. There was a woman behind me who was laughing at certain points, uh-huh. like in a way like, oh my God, what is this? I see. Because I can totally imagine that. If if you're an ignorant dullard, I can imagine laughing at it. You know, don't joke. <laughs> if you don't like this kind of thing, it's a, you have to go with it. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if you, if you weren't into it, you'd be like, what am I watching? Like the majority of people hated this movie. Hated. Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, it got 68%. No, that's the critics. Right. The the people gave it, it the the overwhelming it's one star but but the average is two really and and the if you read through the comments which I did it's it is vicious like there are five star reviews and there are one star reviews yeah. I only saw a couple of two stars yeah it's it's so divisive yeah <laughs> so if. I and I was with it, but then at a certain point, like when um, Kristen Wiig starts shooting all those people in the head, I was like, 
okay, like where, like, okay, get to the next, I, I get it. Do you know what I mean? The, the society is falling apart, you know, like let's get to the next plot point. You know, it just was really long. Um, what I would have, I was thinking what I would have liked and I was thinking, well, what if the ending escalation was still in the realm of possibility? You know, like maybe there's a fight, uh, between different guests because he because he writes that poem right and so people start coming yeah and so he's like yeah okay you know and and then let's say people start fighting and then let's say different different cultures are there you know diff- from different parts of the world arrive yeah and they start having ideological fights you know like you have an ISIS guy and you have like a Trump supporter you know like then people start having you know maybe someone brings a gun and maybe the police are called and. Maybe it escalates, but it's still within the realm of like what could happen if you were a celebrity who happened to open your doors up to a bunch of random people. But how could world. you get her to blow up everything? Well, so and restart the whole cycle. Well, good. So I thought, and that would take a bit. But imagine, like, she, you know, she's off of her meds, her yellow meds. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's she's starting to lose it, which they portrayed really well. You know, yeah. like. You you could just have it be, um, you know, maybe, and she gives birth, maybe maybe she has her baby at some point, and during all this chaos that uh, God has, uh, you know, let the people, the humans, mm-hmm. uh, uh, inflict upon her realm, somehow they accidentally kill her, son, her, her baby, or... You know something gruesome, and she just and she loses it, yeah. and says, "I'm done with everyone. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill everyone, or I'm gonna blow up this house, or yeah. something." You know, what well, I, mean? I would have given your movie a seven, and and the reason is because that would have removed from me the element that I loved the most, which was, and I especially experienced this the second time, because the second time I knew what was gonna happen, right? But if you watch it closely, she sort of does too. Really? Because from the very beginning, she knows something is wrong. She can feel it, right? She can feel it in the walls. Something is blackening that heart of hers. And there are many moments where she sees the the fire creeping in, right? And why would, you know, if it were realistic, right? Why would someone have such an adverse reaction when that first human shows up, right? So, like, when I'm watching it the second time, I'm like... Oh my gosh, I can so much feel like I'm in her shoes more because I know I I know what's coming. So now all this seems all the more horrifying right off the bat. Like, oh no. Oh, here comes that horrible woman. Oh, here comes the fight with the kids. Oh no. And 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 like Right, so just to pause yeah. you, that's the genius of the directing and the acting and yeah. the cinematography of this movie is that I felt every emotion that mother earth was feeling right that, you know and and to to wrap up my point about why i felt that the surreal escalation was what the key that did it for me is um it's definitely the first time watching it but but even more so the second time watching it i'm sitting there going putting myself in her shoes and leaving all realms of reasonableness it's such an extreme because you could have said at first like oh, you're not being very hospitable but then they break his precious thing. You're like, okay, well, they got to go. And then like the kids show up and a murder happens. You're like, okay, that's now we're like out of the bounds, right? And then all these fucking people and then they break that. And you're like, okay, that's ridiculous. 
but you can still, and then calm returns, and you're like, okay, well, that was stupid. Like, let never do that again. But then when the chaos returns, and you're like, wait, that there's fucking cops. Now they're killing people. Like, what, what the? F-? And then there's a war. Like, it's a war zone. And that escalation felt like a train out of control that you have no control of, no input, no say. And that is so beyond your comprehension. And, and that's what really did it for me. And to the point where, like, they grab the baby, the baby's killed, and and you're like, oh my god, it yeah. was so good. Yeah. So let's I'm talk about rush right now. <laughs> let's talk about the symbols here. So uh, it's pretty. Cl- so some of these uh, symbols are very obvious to me, but some of them are uh, not necessarily true or or intended. But it's very intentional that. Javier Bardem's character is God, and that J Law's character is Mother Earth, or at the very least, a creator. Yeah, yeah. and and by the way, uh, one, I've I've seen a lot of reviewers that like the movie, but then they'll say, "Oh, but you know the the symbolism hit me over the head too hard. It was too on the nose." God, not me. And 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 I think they missed the point because it's not. He wasn't trying to like. Well, I'm going to throw in a few little hints and reference. No, no, no. It was an allegory from beginning to end. Right. It's, but I was not, I mean, I didn't, I, it took me probably until she gave birth or something yeah. when I was like, oh, is this a, and then, and then maybe 15 minutes after I walked out of theater, I was like, wait, so there was kind of like a Cain and Abel thing. Right, right, right. And I was like, is, was, wait, what, does that mean this Adam and Eve? Yeah. And they got thrown out of paradise because they took the apple and everything. Yeah. And then, everything and, then and then everything started because, because I think the thing that threw me was the Mother Earth character. Because, right. you know, we don't in, in Christianity world, we don't, we think of God and Mother Earth being the same thing, essentially. You know, yeah. it's like you have the creator who, there creates. is no feminine. Right. There's no there's there's no Mother Earth in the yeah. in the Christian Judeo Christian mythology, right. so to speak. You know? oh, it, Although I should say, of course, there are you know elements within Western culture that incorporates a Mother Earth, a yeah. Gaia. You know what I mean? But but, but that's what threw me. You know, because because essentially you have two gods. You know, you have or a god and and nature. Yeah, which isn't usually sort of broken out like that. Yeah. And and I think that was one of the things that I I thought was so artfully done by him, because he didn't actually what he wasn't he wasn't actually retelling the Bible, what he was doing is telling, sort of the metaphysical truth upon which a Bible would have been based. Yeah, such such that you know what truth do you think he was saying? Well, meaning that uh, uh, what I what I mean to say is imagine that there is this truth where there is a creator that must create and has to create and then has some sort of relationship with what we call nature right and out of that every cycle springs out different sets of quote-unquote people or, or, or organisms but it always goes wrong right and along the lines there are always these motifs like brother against brother or the equivalent, right? And there's uh, escalation of hatred or uh, escalation of abuse of the thing we call nature. Every cycle. Escalation of religion and dogma. Right. And then you could have imagined that in our real human cycle, uh, very ancient times, people noticed things about reality and wrote them down into what we call the Bible, but that was just like a, a pale reflection of that bigger truth that he's and this is a common uh thing that actually that guy that i 
that I don't entirely like, but Jordan Peterson guy that he talks a lot about these like truer truths upon which things like the Bible are based on. But I, do, what, you, do you listen to his podcast? Uh, who Jordan Peterson? Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. I started listening to it, yeah. and I did a whole episode. Did Did you know I did a whole episode did, about him and gender pronouns and stuff? Did, oh, I'd do, love to uh, get in on that at some point. Yeah. Did Did do you Did you Do you know his stance on that? Whole oh thing? yes, yes. Yeah. I've 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 watched probably no kidding twenty hours of him of him talking about gender pronouns. No, no. Of uh, I've seen oh. I think all his Bible videos. Yeah, and I've seen. Uh, many lectures he's given and many interviews he's given about the gender pronoun stuff. Uh, oh, and and then lectures talk, he's done about a whole bunch of lectures. I should have talked with you about it. I, I basically talked off the cuff about yeah. it based on the limited information I had yeah. and criticized him because, well, let's take a break yeah. and when we get back. Let's continue with that. What do you say? All right, we're back from the break. Before moving on, I just want to tell everyone that this month's episodes are brought to you by Talkspace. Talkspace is our first and only official sponsor, really. And it's a wonderful, I think, partnership because we have listeners all over the country, all over the world. Uh, I think something like a third of our ongoing listeners aren't don't live in the United States. Uh, I think the other, I think another fifteen percent live in the English-speaking major countries: UK, Australia, and uh, wait, what am I leaving out here? (laughs) Uh, UK, Australia, Uh, Canada. Sorry, Canada. Of course, (laughs) forget (laughs) it. Blame Canada. (laughs) And then ten percent come from uh, other other parts of the world. Do Canadians who use Talkspace have to do like a floppy-headed disclaimer? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So. The amount of people who contact me and say, I need a therapist, you know, how do you have a recommendation? I'm in Chicago right. or I'm in Canada or I'm in blah, blah, blah. And I, and I just, I can't help them. Well, I can now because you can go to Talkspace. The great thing about Talkspace is that they are trying to be, I think, the most legitimate online counseling service. They make sure that all their counselors are fully licensed, meaning that they didn't just graduate. They're, they're fully licensed in their region. And they're also trained. Shannon McFarland. Do you remember Shannon McFarland? She's been on the podcast yeah, before. Yeah. She was a former supervisee student of mine. She actually works for Talkspace and trains, oh, cool. the, trains the therapists on how to use the technology mm. and everything like that. So they're trying to be super buttoned up, uh, and they have you know uh, therapists all over the place. And the great thing about Talkspace is it's pretty cheap uh, relative to other kinds of counseling. Yeah, you can talk with your therapist every day or even multiple times a day. And you don't have is, to travel, and you don't have to travel, or you can travel. You can be wherever you want to be. Yeah, and you and it and it's it's and the other nice thing about it, I think, is that. I would imagine that if you didn't like your therapist, you could probably switch pretty easily <laughs> because <laughs> it's just like a click of a button. You know, it's like, ah, I think yeah. I'm, I think I, whereas if you're uh, trying to find an in-person therapist, it's a whole process, you know, right. it's, right. it's much more involved. And, and so I think because of its low barrier to entry and low barrier to switch, I, I, I think if, if you're out there listening and you're looking for a therapist, you're looking for a counselor, or you just want to... The, the thing I keep saying whenever I plug this stuff is, you know, a lot of therapy... Uh, there's a fair amount of therapy that w- is what we call supportive therapy, which is right. not necessarily working on a problem or a psychiatric issue. You're, you're, you want someone to talk to uh, to get some support. And 
this can provide that. You would have mm-hmm. someone that you could talk to every day and bounce ideas off of and that That's kind of great. thing. That's a professional that, you know, will listen well and blah, blah, blah. And it lets you play the, the therapist field pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. You can, the Tinder of therapy, I suppose. And, and so, uh, if, if you're, th- so yeah, but people out there, you have to use the promo code Kirk, K I R K. I don't choose the promo codes, by the way. <laughs> it's not my narcissistic, uh, you know, hope that you would use my name, but it's, but it's easier than psych in Seattle or something. Anyway, so it's Kirk. You use promo code Kirk and that signals to talk space that you're one of our listeners and that this sponsorship is worth it. Nice. When, when we get sponsors, it provides us with more funds for this podcast, which means we can spend more time uh, like pontificating about mother and that kind of thing. I think I'm going to use the service, Yeah, type in Kirk, and then like see how long it takes for me to talk the ear off of the <laughs> online counselor. <laughs> you know, Berto, you, you joke, but if you want to, you actually you know, might want to do it. Oh, I'm going to do it. For a couple of weeks and, and report back. Oh, and, all right. And, and tell us how it was. A si- what is it? Uh, challenge accepted. <laughs> okay, so Jordan Peterson, yeah, uh, the, the thing that I was saying in general, which, which was I actually really like Jordan Peterson. Obviously, you do too. Uh, his- I have a lot of respect for his education his approach, and certainly, you know, he's a smart dude. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard... Someone just emailed me, uh, Mr. Zimmerman, I believe, uh, from Toronto and today, and saying that uh, Jordan Peterson is this total right-wing, alt-right, you know, like uh, te- like terrible human being. He has friends in low places because the alt-right embraces him because essentially they can use his angling and his uh, sort of like educational uh, lectures and all these things as proof of like, you see alpha males, beta males, women suck, yeah. uh, gender, all these things are BS. But does he believe that uh, stuff? No. So the thing is, he, he it's, it's hard to exactly pin him down on fully what he believes. He comes out hard against fascism and against Nazism and against, you know, uh, misogyny and all these things. However, a lot of what he says happens to be very easily usable by these groups. Well, he also is very much against this Canadian bill that was designed to uh, uh, discourage trans hate speech, you know, that kind of, Anyway, the, 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 the position I was having, because I... The, the the little bit that I, I probably I've probably listened to ten hours of Jordan Peterson's yeah. podcast and I love it. But occasionally he says things sort of off the cuff in my opinion, where I'm like, What are you talking about? I don't think you know enough about that topic to yeah. to go off on like he you know And he's a big evolutionary psychologist, by the way. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And, and and so yeah, so sometimes he says things and I'm like, ah, you know, but the possibility of anyone totally agreeing with everything that I think is, you know, but but the things that he said off the cuff about uh, off the cuff about trans things, I've always just been like, you sound like an old white person who doesn't know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. The rest of what he's talking about, I'm like, my God, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. When he's making connections between the Great Flood and and Noah and like right. and 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 psychology and your right. life and child rearing and the meaning of life and society. Like he's making just all these connections and I'm just like, whoa, like what's happening? By the way, the problem I have with that is that 
so on the one hand, when he gained notoriety, it's because he stood up and he said, I'm not going to be compelled to use words that you want me to use. Right or wrong, that's what he stood up and said. And people are like, oh, well, yeah, it's, what a It's badass. wrong. It's wrong. Right. I, mean, right. I mean, the guy is saying, uh, I, I refuse to, to acknowledge trans people is what he's saying. He, he's saying, if you, he's saying, I'm not going, just, you know, you were born a certain way and I'm not, I refuse to call you anything other than that. That's I, what he's been saying. I, I don't mean to defend him, but I think you would disagree with your categorization. But even no, he, I have quotes from him saying that exact I, I, thing. And I don't I, – I absolutely believe you do. I still think and he compares, with you. And he compares it to Nazism of like – he compares it to the not compel- Nazism. He compares it to doublespeak of, of 1984 yes, of yes. like the Big Brother and yes. stuff. I, I think what happened though is – because when you put it that way, more people would be against him. What happens is that – the way he explained it and the way it came out is like, hey, they want us to use like 72 different pronouns and they have, they want me to have to use things like G or she or whatever. But even and- that is tone deaf because most trans people will not say, I don't know, a, I don't actually, I don't know a single human being who would say, I would like the world to use 72 different pronouns. Right. But he was saying that they did and that they were trying to force him to. Yeah, which so is not true. That's what everyone came out in support of. Not yeah. everyone, a lot of people. Including trans people were supporting, right. were, were supporting some of... But here's the irony or the incongruity that I have a problem with. He mostly stood on a foundation of you cannot go against biological, quote-unquote, truth, right. which is absolute. Right. On the other hand, he has this debate with Sam Harris, and, and and the theme of the first debate is what the word truth and what the concept truth means. And for two hours, they're unable to come to eye to eye because Jordan Peterson continues to say that there is no absolute truth about anything, and you cannot know what was true until the very end of everything and and reviewing the entirety of it all. And I and now I'm absolutely. Well, paraphrasing, but but saying what he said. And those are so contradictory, right? Well, I just roll my <laughs> eyes because it's so dumb. Because the point is, is there are human beings in our society who, uh, you know, have trans identity. And they want, they would, they're asking us nicely, mostly. And mo- most, most trans people don't even want to come out of the closet. You know, they don't even, they don't even want to bother anyone with yeah. their trans issues. And the few who actually do come out because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, the trans people I know are extremely forgiving of when they ask us, can you please refer to me as uh, him or her or they, are extremely forgiving of that whole process. There are, there are exceptions to that rule. Well, you, you, have, you have way more information and exposure to those communities, to the fucking reality I, is the point, and well, and that's yeah, right. and that's why this the the people that support Jordan Peterson's right wing point of view on this, I just have to say, like, how, how is your life being impacted exactly? Well, the problem is that we don't know, like, because when he, when I first saw his video where he had been confronted by these protesters and things, I was like, oh yeah, he sounds like he's right onto something. Well, protesters, sure, but you know, in your real life, like. You know, how many trans people do you know? Right. How many of them are yeah. actually so, bothering you? So ultimately, I'm 100% with you. It, what I'm trying to say is that at the time when he first, this is six months ago, when he first bubbled into my little purview, and I just saw like the little window of what he was saying, what was happening, I was like, oh, yeah, he's making a lot of sense. 
Because what I thought was happening is that he was asking, being asked by law to use 72 different pronouns for 72 different types of people. Right. And, and, and I was like, and, well, and, that seems wrong. Yeah. And if you actually read the bill in Canada, it's, it's not, that's not what it's saying. Yeah. But the point is, is, <laughs> and I'm sure I'll get a billion emails again because I, I, you know, we talked about this again. I, I just want to say for the record, I'm not a Jordan Peterson scholar. And there are people out there who are emailing me and saying, I have read every single bit of Jordan Peterson. I've seen every, every video. Kirk, you don't understand what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't fucking care is the thing. I heard him say a couple things. I actually researched some of his quotes and I have enough information to go on to say that I think he is tone deaf when it comes to trans issues. Now, I have heard, I enjoy his podcast. I currently have, I think, 20 episodes waiting for me to listen to on my phone right now. Uh, You know, but when it comes to trans issues, there are very few people, I think, who are not tone deaf in this yeah. society right now. And he just happens to be in the he and, and there are a lot of people who are scared about trans issues because they don't understand it. They're worried they're going to be called out as a bigot. They're worried that they're going to be prosecuted, I suppose. And and if that's the impression that people are getting, then uh, us activists need to, like, do better job at, at communicating to these people like relax or how about we reword this bill so that it doesn't scare you so much yeah. because the 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 bigger point here is we no one wants i hope jordan peterson and all his followers don't want trans people to feel terrible about themselves and don't want don't want trans people to be uh enduring hate speech or yeah. hate crimes i mean no one wants that right the bill to my knowledge, was designed at least intentioned to address that. It wasn't to scare you or to uh, impose some weird ideology on you yeah. or to uh, back you into a corner that forces you to commit a crime. Like, no, why would anyone want that? You yeah. know. So uh, anyway. Uh, By the way, the, the, the reason I brought this uh, this person up was because, see, the movie, which is fiction, yeah. right? I, in my opinion, does a great artful job of what Jordan Peterson lectures about. Yeah. The, the problem I have with the Jordan Peterson approach is he's not saying that here is why the Bible exists how it does because of all these psychological things we have and all these evolutionary things and stuff like that. He's saying that there is this truth out there. That the Bible reflects and right. that truth is, is God. He's, right. He's he will- ultimately religious and he's, well, trying to couch it as yeah. as he's backing into it scientifically. Yeah, he, he the, the I've he has a question and answer at the end of his podcast. As in, he is his podcasts are live lectures. Yeah, are they videos too? Have you? He's watched? got lots of videos. Yeah. Well, the, at the end of his podcasts that are audio only, he does these, and people will ask him point blank, "Do you believe in God, or do you believe in Adam and Eve?" And this kind of stuff. And um, and again, I haven't heard all the things. So if you're one of those Jordan Peterson people, but the the things that I've heard, he I think you know pretty artfully dodges the question, um, or he answers the question in such a way that reflects the enormity of the question. You know, he he'll he'll say something like that question is such a big question. I. I don't. I can't really answer it in it, this format. It, in my opinion, that's BS. Yeah, like he's right. he's disingenuous about what is being asked. Well, I, I think there's I think there's two things happening. One is is that he the way he talks he brings together 
both people on the left and on the right. Yeah. He brings people, he brings atheists like yourself together and super religious people together. You know, he, he brings both people. So I think he knows if I come out by saying I'm this or that, yeah. then half of my, and now he's making uh, millions of dollars right now. Yeah. Just being himself talking like his, his Patreon. I just checked cause, uh, <laughs> uh, I heard he, you know, he's, he, he had a, he is his page. He's making 70,000 a month yeah. just on Patreon. That right. that's, that's like beyond his regular job and his speaking engagements yeah. and sponsorships and that kind of stuff, if he has any. And so, you know, he, he knows he's shrewd enough to know that, that uh, and that's just guess. And I'm just guessing. Anyway, let's get back to I, yeah. the movie. Let's back to the movie. So, so we got God and Mother Earth. Mother Earth. We have the house is kind of like Earth, right? And and as she renovates, it, it, I kind of had this feeling like maybe life was evolving or something, you know? Because it's very plain house at the beginning, right? And she she's adding color here, and she's you know, putting new China and new, you know, everything I thought might be like Mother Earth building complex life forms. Yeah, evolving. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think the heart in the walls exactly was? So that's her heart, um, which is not only her heart. It's like that's the continuum of the hearts. Yeah. That's why I got that sense, especially the second time. No, only the second time. The first time I didn't really see this. Um, I got that sense that the story had already been told and she somehow knows it but doesn't know it. Mm. And and so that's why that heart remembers. It remembers that everything burns. Mm. And so I got the sense that that's not like the house's heart. Like that is her heart because it's the same thing that ultimately he pulls out and yeah. he makes into... But it's a little the, weird though because she there seems to be a heart in the house. Yeah. And there's also a heart in her chest. Yeah, and, but, but, and there's also a crystal in her, in her chest. But the, the crystal is the heart. The but heart there's also the heart. a crystal on the mantelpiece. That's the previous hers. That's uh, what I'm heart. saying. It it kind of loses the. I know it's metaphor and everything, but it felt like there were a lot of hearts. If that makes any sense. Well, but but keep in mind the previous crystal is broken. Right. So it's almost like the previous crystal has to be broken for the new crystal to emerge. Interesting. And the God or the creator has this, by the way, one of the things I thought was so well done is at many points in that movie, I was ready to flip on the creator and start hating because I thought, oh, he's about to turn evil or he's about to start beating her or he's about to, or he's, and he never quite did. No. Even in the worst of moments when he's trying to take her baby, he sits there and waits. And then, like, that's the closest I came to hating him. Yeah, he had a hostile edge to him in that moment. He's, right. He's like, okay, I'm going to sit here, right. and I know you're going to fall asleep. Right, and that's the closest I came to hating him. Yeah. But then, they still do this brilliant job, and Javier Bardem, I mean, I, oh my gosh, I can't say enough good things, because now, you, you see- You kind of look like him now that I think about <laughs> it. I have a little. So he gives up his baby, and I'm like, and that's the first time that a movie I've seen depicting- what a God kind of creature might go through simultaneously giving up his thing that he values, but because he loves these other things so much. God, when they, you know, when they grab that baby and I'm just like, Oh my God. And like J law is freaking out, you know? And, 
the baby is, you know, and you're just like, oh, what's up? And then he's peeing everyone. And you're like, oh, my God. And then the next Snap. snaps, you hear it. Crack. And then she comes through the crowd, and oh, they've eaten the and baby. And the carcass. And they're, they're chowing they're down. Like, I was like, I, I, I mean, I, I think for the people who were like, I don't know if I like this movie, I think a certain sensibility like that, that scene lost them, I think. I think a lot of people walked out of the movie, and I bet you a lot of them during or right before that. Or after that. Yeah. Uh, we got Adam and Eve, which is man and woman in the credits. Adam loses a rib uh, during that right. night when he's all, you know, and Eve shows up. Was in the toilet, was that a rib in the toilet? No, no. That that one, that one I don't get, like, because like, it was a biological thing. Yeah, it looked like a heart or a... I thought tumor. it was an. I thought it was like an abortion from Eve. Yeah, you know, because that was after Eve was around, but oh. before the kids show up. Oh, so I thought. And remember, there was like bloody tissues on the sink, and she goes to flush them, and then the thing is clogged. And then she goes like that, and then there's this thing, and it's clearly alive because it expires, it releases blood, and then flushes. Oh, so I was like, is that like an abortion? What is that? But I didn't quite get. What that one was. Anyway, then we got Cain and Abel that show up, and Cain kills Abel. Yet another movie that um, What's-His-Face is in. Yeah, he's uh, in every movie. God, what's that kid's name? It's hard to say, right? Because his name, you think you pronounce it one way, and it's... Uh, God, he's been in so many movies. And he's, he's in, in more Black movies. Mirror. Yeah, he's in more movies like this year. Um, the Sink Breaks from the people sitting on it during Which the party. Great. She's like, don't sit there. It's not braced. Yeah. And like, oh, what? Oh, okay, no, now, what's wrong with her? I, I, I read a, an online review about this, and they're like, who sits on a sink? And I'm like, uh, people sit on fucking sinks. And like, and like, I, I have been there before. Like, as a homeowner, I have been in a situation where I've been like, why are you sitting on that thing? Right. But, but even if they didn't, the whole point is exactly who, after being told, don't sit on the fucking sink. No, uh, that continues part. Continues to break the sink. No, that part, I was totally on board with that. I'm like, that happens to me. Uh, yeah, what, what I'm trying to say is, that's what we are doing. Yeah. We are on the sink, bouncing up and down. Well, so that wasn't, that wasn't us. That's pre-flood. So. Uh, but, that, but, but that's but humans. humans. Yeah. That's still humans. Yeah. yeah. So then the great flood happens. And then uh, she gives birth, and Jesus, and then we have, I think, John the Baptist, who was that that main priest guy. Yeah, but it isn't, right? Like, I mean, th that's why I was trying to say, it's not, he's not actually telling us the Bible. No, but... Because, because if it, for example, if it but were... But there are direct correlates. Oh, absolutely. Adam and Eve. Absolutely. But if it were the human Bible, for example, certainly Jesus doesn't come in our Bible right before the apocalypse, Right, and he, well, he in the in the cosmic scheme, modern war in the comic, like that, in the right? comic scheme, in the cosmic, com, yeah. cos, com, com. and then we got oil, which is like fossil fuels, or it is fossil fuels, sure. and it's global warming, right? Sure. It's a direct thing. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the yellow. What was the yellow liquid? Do you oh, think? that she drank. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I well, what's interesting is um, there is all the metaphor that we want to apply to it, but remember. He had a job. He was an uh, orthopedic surgeon. Uh, they had apparently been together for years, and he's dying from cancer from smoking. None of those things have direct correlates right. to like Adam and Eve in the garden, yeah, right? Right. So there are a lot of things which I think are just 
either methods for him to bring us in with suspense and mystery or are just, you know, maybe allusions to things like smoking is certainly like abusing your body, but maybe not directly to what I, there's no story in the Bible no. of Adam abusing. No, himself. I, I thought giving this some th- people are thinking that it's like an anti hallucination. I read that and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Cause she just, she's not hallucinating, you know, to keep her docile, like Xanax or something. Yeah. But, and it's also a nod potentially to the yellow wallpaper, which was is this uh, book or story that was written in 1892 that has very similar themes to this movie uh, where a woman and a house are com- are like combined. But to me, I think it's it's like you're saying it, it's not it, it's just a device to give us that sense that there's danger and that she needs to take something to 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 calm the beast. And that once she throws it away and no longer has that, the remainder of the movie is the craziest that she's ever seen. Right. Uh, okay. So, oh, and sorry. And by the way, to your earlier point at the beginning, I, that is how you could have taken it in a, oh, see, it could all be in her head direction right. because that could have been her just going really insane. Right? right. But I don't think it was his full intention to do that. No, no, no. In fact, if you read uh, interviews with Aronofsky, he's very clear what the story means. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what his main point is? Well, I, sorry. I don't know if, if that's what you read. I, I read him basically saying the the excuse to why he wrote it was that he, he was going through a dark period and he was very fed up with everything that he had been seeing in the news around the world and he just wanted to let it all out in a burst. That's one re- interview that I read. But I didn't read an interview about what the meaning is. So oh, you, you might... The, the main meaning is environmental. Yeah. Uh, that it, And I certainly got that. Yeah, yeah it, that he he's actually a staunch environmentalist. He has yeah. been a, an activist for many, right. uh, for a number of years. And it's yeah, it's about it's about right. ru- it's about society and its ills. In addition, and one of the main ills is how it uh, is potentially destroying its right. people are destroying the and, earth. And by the way, that is why the escalation and the wackiness was so effective for me because people sitting. And that's also why I found it so ironic that sixty some percent of people absolutely hate hate the movie because I felt like it's a mirror, you know. And it's a mirror and people see it and they're like, Ugh, I don't oh, like that. Interesting. Because you're sitting there watching it and you're like, this is ridiculous. Who, who, why, what's happening? What are all these crazy people coming in from out of nowhere? But that is literally what our human history looks like. Yeah. All these people coming out of nowhere and raping. Yeah. Just raping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's interesting. I, I wonder if that was a factor. I, I'm apt to just say that stylistically, it's just not, it's too artsy. You know, it's too, it's too artsy. I mean, the average person, I mean, Transformers is a huge hit for uh, a reason. It's because it is very palatable, you know? Well, but Black Swan got much better reviews and did a lot of money compared to this. Yeah. And but, that one was very conceptual. But had a much, I mean, it had 1% the uh, surrealism, yeah, you know. Uh, so, you know, and it was in the midst of ballet and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this is just like, what? I mean, 
even for me, there was about 15 minutes where I was like, okay, let's get on with it. It's a little, uh, I, I get the point, you know, society sucks and war sucks and humans suck and J-Law is, is being put upon, uh, you know, let's, let's get to the next phase. I just, I remember just going, okay, you know, let's move on. The part that doesn't ring true, um, in a more, uh, universal way to look at things is in reality, quote unquote, mother nature wasn't sitting around being all peaceful. Like when we arrived, right? <laughs> the history of the universe is nothing if not by human standards, brutal yeah. and empty yeah. And dark, <laughs> but you know, in the in the scheme of of religion, you could say, or mysticism, or myth, you could say that uh, God and Mother Earth came together to say, "Let's create a perfect Eden," you know, sure. for for people. <laughs> yeah, it's which, that- which which cosmically, Earth is the perfect. We're we're like in the, we're at a perfect place. In uh, relation to the sun, right? We have a perfect sun. With we mass have mass extinctions that have killed billions and trillions of organisms in horrendous, instantaneous ways. But life, <laughs> life has survived, which for is now. which is quite right. for now yeah, until yeah. she you yeah. know hits the button yeah. on the so on the oil. Like, I, I want to clarify. I'm a huge environmentalist. I meaning I I do think that we're screwing ourselves over and blah blah. But in terms of selfishly as humans, we are doing that. Right. In, in terms of universal, we are right on par with the universe. Like, actually, we're way less destructive than the universe. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, supernovae. Uh, uh, Obliterate. Yeah. Like, uh, black holes. Yeah, yeah. Asteroid collisions. I mean, yeah, there's there's all sorts of terrible things. Yes. that. The, I mean, terrible to us. To us. To not terrible human. to other things. The universe is just is. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's take a break. When we get back, let's talk about the psychology of, of the matter. All right, we're back from the break. Just to remind everyone, today's episode is brought to you by Talkspace. Go to Talkspace and use the promo code KIRK, K-I-R-K, to get a discount and also to signal to them that you're one of our listeners, which helps them to stay a sponsor. They, they've been a sponsor now. F- this is the third month, which is you know a pretty big deal. And if we could get them to be an ongoing sponsor, uh, that's a pr- it, having a direct sponsor like Talkspace is, is a big fund yeah. uh, flow. Yeah. I don't know the accounting terms, but <laughs> there's a fair amount of ducats. Influx. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get to the uh, psychology uh, of the matter. There's not a ton I can say, but there, there are a few things I can say. One is is that uh, it, it, I think, metaphorically reflects humans' inability to, to understand statistics and to understand the big picture. We, in our society right now, are very much concerned with what's in front of our faces, right? Yeah. I have to get to work. I have a car. I drive to work. Uh, I, I can't pot, you know, I don't see, I don't see the pollution in the air. Right. I don't feel the, the, the earth getting warmer. I don't see the daily species that are going extinct. Look, the sink is fine. We're bouncing on it and it's fine. Right. And I'm alive and the people around me are alive and my right. pets are alive and my, I see, I see animals on the internet. They're alive right. and people are talking about extinctions and global warming. They're talking, I don't know, one Celsius. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't, my, my coastline isn't getting any stranger. And I've never even seen these animals that they told me were going extinct. Right. And, and so it's this cognitive bias, this, this cognitive problem that we have, 
which is when we really sit humans down and lay out, uh, particularly people with a open mind to this sort of, you know, idea, they, including you and me, yeah. will agree that we are raping this planet and we are collectively, including individually, doing terrible, terrible things. Terrible if we, if we want to survive. Yeah, if not only... <laughs> Long term. Well, us, and we've already destroyed several species uh, just because of our use of uh, things that create CO2 in the atmosphere. Right. And that is a... It's a terrible... I mean, imagine if you just walked up to someone and said, okay, uh, here's a bomb, and I want you to drop it into that tank, and you're going to kill... All of that, all of that particular form of coral. Yeah, uh, that's the last group of coral uh, of that species left on the planet. Here's a bomb. Drop it, and, and I want you to drop it. They'd be like, "No, that's I'm not. crazy. Who well, would do that?" <laughs> that's what we are doing on a daily basis by using electricity. We're just painting the walls for you. Yeah, and so uh, we as humans have this, you know. Uh, problem, which makes sense because being on the African savanna two million years ago, why would we be selected to understand global warming or the, the, the bigger picture when it comes to that kind of stuff where we evolved and we're selected for where's the food in front of my face and yeah. how do I have sex and how do I keep safe and how do I keep my family safe and yeah. how do I keep warm and what's happening to me right now? Yeah. That all goes straight into our limbic system. I'll use that uh, our primitive brains, yeah. so to speak, and that's what guides how we do things. Our frontal lobe, our you know, is is pretty weak compared to the rest of our brain, you know. Right. And, and so I, I thought that was one psychological thing that I think, if you wanted to demonstrate a metaphor of this cognitive problem, this movie is a good example hmm. of that. Yeah, I also felt it was a bit of a feminist message. Yeah, me too. I thought. In fact, I didn't see much on the internet talking about this at all. What did no. you think? Well, uh, clearly, <laughs> if you had not seen the second half, like let's say you only watched the first half, right. I think you probably would have walked out and be like, I think that movie is about sort of an abusive, imbalanced relationship yeah. where this woman is trying to make the relationship work, but she is unimportant compared to everyone else. Right. It had a man. Yeah, it had a very familiar gender situation yeah. you know he's the worker she's the homemaker right. she's she's very maternal and very caring and very giving and he is very uh, he loves her yeah. you know he's he's not he's not abusive he he loves her and but she's weak and he's strong right. now, he, he he works he wants to succeed he's very focused on having accolades and prestige and He's a little self-centered, but she but she cares about him. Right. I mean, it sort of felt like a 50s relationship. Yeah. Actually, that's a great way to put it. And it's not that they don't show women who are evil, like, for example, his publicist, right? right. Uh, but then they do show us, like, all the imprisoned women, too. Yeah. And, right. There was, like, a sex trade right. uh, scene. And, and that was a pretty intense moment because... She is like now seeing like in the midst of her trying to like take her baby somewhere safe. She's like, wait, what? Why are all these women now in prison? And this guy comes up to her and essentially evaluates her and is like, no, there's something wrong with her or whatever. And 
that moment, you know, I also felt was, and, and lastly, I, I think there was this association of creation. He's the creator, right? But, and then she's shown as the destroyer. But in reality, well, in the movie's reality, she was trying to create, nurture, make work. And he allowed all the destruction to happen. Right. Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it was preachy or anything. It was just, I felt like there was a bit of a feminist theme there. Totally. I, I felt even to the end that the, the, because you could even say that you push women so far beyond the brink and you take and you take and you take and you oppress and you marginalize and eventually she's going to fight back yeah and you're going to and you're going to feel like it was justified i mean when she when well let me ask you when she when she destroyed the the house did you how'd you feel about that i felt like she needed to do that Half a movie ago, right? The way the way they set it up, it's just like, yeah, good fucking riddance, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like, yes. the, you know, those all those people deserved that. And then I thought there was this brilliant moment where, again, you think, okay, like the god, the creator, has lost all credibility, and yet she's like, "What are you?" And and then she's like, "Why?" Right? And and he says, "Like I'm a creator." If if it were enough, because she's like, when is it gonna be enough? And she's like, he's like, it can't be enough. If were, if it were enough, I would stop creating. I need the he doesn't say this, but I need the emptiness to be filled w- with my creations. Right. So it can't be enough. And and I just thought that was a brilliant insight into uh, like the metaphor of of existence in a way. It's like, well, if there was nothing, I guess that would solve a problem. But then nothing would be created, nothing would exist, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So I can sort of understand how that creator feels. He's like, I know it's sort of a sucky cycle, but like otherwise, uh, you know, I got to (laughs) create. Right, right. And and it's an age-old religious debate, so to speak, or philosophical debate around free will and and that kind of thing. You know, if, if you give man free will then they might choose bad things. Yeah. And they might, might destroy things and do and do unfair things to other humans. Right. Uh, where and if God was good, then God would prevent bad things from happening to people, but what people will say is well God gave humans free will and therefore can choose to do uh, wonderful things and can choose to do as evil things as they are capable of and yeah. and people choose what they're they're free to choose yeah the, the other the other sense i got was um you were alluding to the the bible so in in the bible the the text as if read literally uh it really does sound like there's just like this male omnipotence right um but what what this movie is presenting as the metaphor is well that thing you call god <laughs> is actually not just this male figure. It has this feminine part to it. And him and her are part of this eternal cycle, right? right? And unfortunately, and this is part of that feminist thing, unfortunately, it seems like she's the one that has to keep going through sort of like hell and burning up. But he's going through his own sort of like recurring hell because he loves her and everyone else. And and you can, by the way, that's the other thing. You can see that... Even when they're killing each other and all these things, he still cares so much for these humans, right? And and for her. And for her. Yeah. Yeah, he's always there like, oh, no, no, listen. 
I'm here for you. Yeah, and he keeps saving her. And, and yeah. uh, the lighter has a symbol on it that has to do with the harmony between Earth and God. I oh, think. interesting. Yeah. I, I was I, I I was thinking that it must have a significance. Yeah. Uh, other morals of the story that we might not have mentioned is. Uh, God can be perceived. The one thing you can walk away from this movie is, my God, uh, God is a narcissistic dick who really loves humans too much. You know what I mean? And wants humans to love him. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing, another moral story is humans are terrible. You know, I mean, you can't walk away from that movie going like, yay, humans. You know, it's just the uh, really God and Mother Earth and and to some extent just Mother Earth are, is the only good human, the only good creatures that that are that exist in this story. And I get the sense that he keeps trying, hoping that the story will change. Yeah, and also he, it's hard to tell if he doesn't care that they're destroying everything because he knows that in the end the story has to carry itself out, or if he doesn't care that they're, or if he cares that they're destroying everything. But he's okay with it. Like, remember that scene where he says, maybe this is, when they kill the baby, maybe this could serve a good purpose. Maybe this could change everything. Maybe we need to forgive them, right? Mm -hmm. And so you almost get the sense, like, that hadn't happened before. This is the first woman cycle where he has a child. Interesting. You know? Yeah, and then he's thinking, maybe if I forgive them, they'll calm down, and that doesn't work. work, (laughs) Uh, another moral of the story you could pull away is that religious people will use the word of God and distort it to their own selfishness or their own weird sort of societal means. Yeah. Because at first, people read that poem and they're just like, it changed my life. It's right. beautiful. And it seems like this whole very hippie experience. You know, people are coming yeah, yeah. to the house and everyone's, oh, it's so great. It's all lovey. And everyone's being nice. And then every, and then you see essentially society form from that point right. forward. And then it gets pretty creepy. They're like, boom, zoom, you know, yeah. like chanting and putting ashes on everyone and right. eating babies. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, Aronofsky, I think it, he is non-religious, but I think he has a spiritual bent. I, I think the quote is that, he is non-religious, I think, is what he says. Yeah. People are saying he's atheist, but I don't think he himself is saying he's... I don't know. But uh, I think he clearly has a religious streak, shall we say. Right. Or, a, I don't know, an appreciation too, of, of the Bible, at the yeah. very least. What was too hard to swallow is that there would be a religion where part of the ritual would involve, like, even metaphorically, consuming and devouring the dead Son of God. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's conclude by going over just some of the other people here. J-Law has been in a bunch of movies, uh, most notably uh, some of these movies. She's been in all the X-Men movies and the Hunger Game movies, uh, of which there's been many, and she's made, I can't even imagine how much money she's made from the Hunger Game movies. But uh, the first movie I saw her in was Winter's Bone. Have you seen that? No. It's pretty good. It's kind of slow, but very interesting. Winter's it's, Bone. Winter's Bone, yeah. It's the first movie that okay. I remember seeing her in. Basically, it's about these meth addicts in like the in rural Kentucky, I think it is, oh. and she is in charge of her two younger siblings, and she's trying to find, I think, her dad, and and it's 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 very interesting, and she does great. And imagine seeing this movie, and you're just like, who is this random actress that just is like killing this? 
Uh, she was also in The Beaver, which, have you seen that movie yet? No. You got to see it. It's good. Is this the Fappening? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, jo- Jodie Foster and... Um, uh, uh, is this about Leave it to Beaver? No. Okay. It's about... Um, God damn it. Mad Max. What's his name? Oh, uh, the actor in Mad yeah. Max? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> why can't we think of his name? Anyway, he has a mental breakdown and he finds this beaver. You mean the new Mad Max? Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. no, the old Mad oh, Max. Uh, uh, wait, now you made me forget Mel Gibson's name? <laughs> Mel Gibson, yeah. For crying out loud. Anyway, it's a good movie. Uh, X-Men, Hunger Games, Silver, Lining, Silver Linings Playbook, uh, which she won an Oscar for. American Hustle, Joy, Passengers, and Mother. Passengers, another movie that was very divisive that you and I, I liked. That you and I both liked. Heavy yeah, um, R. Uh, Bardem's from Spain. Uh, the first movie I saw him in was Before Night Falls in the year 2000. He was also in Collateral. No Country for Old Men, which he won, a great job. Won, won an Oscar for supporting. Oh, He's in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Have you seen this movie? I, I haven't. I know I need to watch it. Yeah, Woody Allen. It, it's one of the... It's it's probably in my top ten Woody Allen, maybe even top okay. five Woody Allen movies. Uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and he's great. You know, he's he's really great in it. Uh, beautiful, uh, Eat, Pray, Love, Skyfall, which I didn't like so much. Pirates. Well, the, I liked his role. I didn't yeah, like the movie. Yeah. yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man Tell. Tell. I saw I saw the beginning of that movie on the plane. Oh, and, he's in that. Yeah, he's the bad guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then he was he's in Mother, and he's been in a whole bunch of other movies. He just blew me away in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he was. Ed Harris, uh, one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, the first movie I remember seeing him in, 1983, The Right Stuff. He was in The Abyss, which I watched a million times in the 90s. State of Grace, great movie. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, The oh, Firm. so good. Apollo 13, The Rock, <sighs> so Absolute good. Power, Everything. The Truman Show, uh, Pollock, which he also directed. That was amazing. Uh, Beautiful Mind, Enemy at the Gates, A History of Violence, great movie. He's, uh, that's the one I still haven't seen that you, you're always like, you need to watch it. Man. Appaloosa, he wrote, directed, produces Appaloosa in 2008, which you haven't seen yet. I know. Oh, I have which, this, you got to make me the list of the 10 movies I haven't seen that I, mean, I must watch immediately. You got to watch Appaloosa. <laughs> I re- recently rewatched this movie. It is so good. I mean, I don't know if you like this sort of thing, but... It he wrote so he made Pollock he wrote he directed Pollock and Appaloosa those are the only two movies that he directed yeah and they're both amazing movies yeah uh, he was in Snowpiercer which everyone loved and I, I didn't. did not like that oh good you didn't <laughs> and then, that was the anyways we could have a whole that was very overblown but but listen do you remember at the beginning when he first walks in. in Snowpiercer no 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 in in this movie in um, whatever this is called mother. mother. When he first walks it's called in, mother, mother, and I, um, I just that sounded like Arrested Development. Mother, mother. Uh, Javier Bardem and him walk into the house. You know, he lets them in. And do you remember how a- apprehensive he is at first of coming in? Yeah. And then she offers him something to drink, and he almost looks scared. Yeah. Why do you think that was? I don't. I don't remember that, but I would suspect that that's a reference to. Adam being afraid of God, you know, like a- Adam and Eve would, uh, yes. okay, Adam okay. and Eve would talk to God and yeah. they were very, yeah. they were fearful. Which by the way is why I believe that this isn't meant to be that Javier Bardem is God and she's some other thing. I believe that God, quote unquote, is, is him them. plus her. Yeah. So that would explain it because he walks in and he's like, oh, it's almost in awe slash fear. Yeah. That's a good point. 
and he he's uh, he's been in a whole bunch of other things, stage acting, but he was also a voice in Call of Duty Black Ops in 2010. Oh, oh, oh by the way, you know what they also did so well huh. at the beginning of the first few scenes? Remember they kept offering her things to drink? Mm-hmm. Like he's like, yeah, do you want some of this? I, and I, in my, in my early watching of it, since I didn't know anything, I'm like, oh, don't drink it. Don't drink it. Because I thought she was pregnant at that point. Uh, Did you get that sense? Because they kept no. showing like the heartbeat and they should. So I was like, oh, she must be pregnant. No, I just thought she's innocent and just doesn't like to drink. I thought they were going, since I had no idea, I thought they were going like in a devil's baby sort of route. Uh, so I was like, don't, don't, whatever's in that, do not drink it. And then later she offers him her the lemonade and she drinks the lemonade. And I was like, oh, God. And she's like, oh, you it's, devil. it's, yeah, it's like, oh, it's, yeah. Um, Ed Harris has uh, been nominated three times, but never won for an Oscar. Michelle Pfeiffer, the first uh, movie I can remember seeing her in, 1982, Grease 2. <laughs> she was in Grease 2? Yeah. Was she the main gal? Yeah. No yeah. way. I believe so. Yeah. What? Uh, she, then she was in Scarface, which was oh, pr- maybe yeah. the first movie everyone remembers her from. Lady Hawk. Great. Uh, uh, the Witches of Eastwick. She's I been in a that. bunch of stuff, but these are just the movies that I want to highlight. Married to the Mob, Tequila Sunrise, da- Dangerous. She was, I mean, for for youngins out there that listen to this mm. podcast, you do not understand, and maybe you don't understand, <laughs> the stardom that Michelle Pfeiffer was. She was like, yeah. she was perhaps the most famous woman on the planet at, in, in the late 80s, early 90s. I had the biggest crush on her. Yeah. Uh, dangerously the fabulous baker boys which i think takes place in seattle with uh Bo and jeff bridges oh, really? frankie and johnny batman returns wolf dangerous minds remember dangerous oh, yes. minds yeah. uh been spending all our lives living in the something paradise <laughs> uh, oh huh. that was a that was a a, a sh- foreshadowing of this movie Ooh. And then I and then she didn't she wasn't in a lot of movies but then she's in I Am Sam and Stardust. Have you seen Stardust? It's like a sci-fi fantasy movie. But that's the Neil Gaiman, right? Uh is it? I don't yeah. know. Okay. But it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. Uh Mother and then she's on the movie coming out later Murder on the Orient Express and she's also in a new uh, Marvel movie Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh-huh. I can't wait for that to come out. She was great in this. Yeah. I hadn't seen her for a while. Yeah. And she was this great mix of like the weathered like, old gal, but also like there was this <clears throat> sort of sweetness to her. And then that sweetness would turn very sour very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That was a hard role to pull <clears throat> off. Uh, she also has received no Oscar, uh, but uh, wins, but she's been nominated a few times. Uh, all right. What's the final word on Mother, Berto? Well, so for me, I was I had one of those experiences that I have very few times in my movie watching, where the whole ride I was enthralled and I came out going like, "Oh my gosh, this is an instant classic for me." And then I went and saw it for the second time, and I, and I always I'm cautious because that second time is a true test of a movie you like a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it was. It was even more enjoyable. I mean, obviously different because I didn't have the surprises, yeah. but I felt like I now could inhabit her a little bit more and be like, oh, this is so horrible and I feel like I've seen it all before. And yeah, so, like, I want to watch it. Cyclic nature. Yeah, you know? I want to watch it again yeah. too. So for me, up there, really up there. I'd, I'd easily give this one a nine for me, um, uh, maybe even 9.5. And I don't know how it'll age, but right now I'm obsessed with it. 
I think this movie will be talked about for a long time in art class and stuff. I think it'll very quickly be forgotten because most people in the in the general public, you know, yeah. maybe not forgotten, but like disregarded or something as like too sensational or too artsy or too difficult to watch or something. I, I have a question for you uh, that you might know about. So there were some scenes uh, where I felt the, 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 the film was a little too grainy looking. Interesting. Is that on purpose? Like, do you think that's like, well, that's the style? Or do you think that was lighting or, or something? Like, I don't know. Grainy, grain usually means that they're cranking the, you know, yeah. I think it's the ISO or something, and, meaning that the lighting is too low. And So I, and I, I felt like maybe they're doing it on purpose to like sort of signify that this is not quite real. And there were scenes where they would show her and she'd be grainier than Javier. Well, I think, I mean, uh, speculation the way they shot the movie, you couldn't have lighting. You had to use yeah. lights that, you know, usually when you shoot a movie, maybe you know this, uh, you you have all the lights behind the camera blasting the subject. Ah, uh, yes, but they had to follow her. And yeah, they're walking yeah. through this house and you can't have lights. And so you'd have to use lights that are okay to, yeah. to be in the set. That you makes know? sense. Yeah. And so maybe that's why that happened. All right. Well, uh, again, this episode brought to you by Talkspace. Go to Talkspace.com to get your online counseling on and use the promo code Kirk for a discount. I, I think you get, I don't know, some, it's a pretty good discount on your first month, I think. I think it makes, I'm going to try it. Makes, so use the promo code Kirk. I'm going to use the promo, cor- uh, promo Kirk code. <laughs> and if you've used it, let us know. Uh, maybe we could use some testimonials, uh, yeah. especially if it's good or something. So let me know. Also, let us know what you think about Mother. Uh, Mother! All right. That does it for that episode. Thanks for joining us Mother! out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it. Does Mother deserve it? She did until she blew up the whole enchilada. (laughs) 